All right, let's stand on our feet. I'm going to read a couple verses from the Gospel of Luke. Actually, I'm just going to read one verse, and that is Luke 2, 52. This is uh, the story when Jesus was about 12 years old, and he stayed behind in Jerusalem. And it says they, uh, his mother finally found him and um, took him, kind of scolded him, and this is uh, 2.52. It says, And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with men. So, Lord, I thank you tonight, Lord, for the word that you want to release into this place. And we ask that you would speak to us in such a way that you would continue to reveal to us the favor of the Father, and that we, like you, Jesus, would grow in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with man. And we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm thankful to be here with you. Are you thankful to be here with me and with one another? Come on. I, uh, I'm sure that there were some that were not here last week, and some of you are here tonight, and maybe some of you are here for both, and I'm, I'm preaching uh, about a six-week-long message here, so 45 minutes times six, however long that is. Uh, I'm trying to piece together about a six, seven, so maybe three to four-hour message that you'll have to kind of jump into uh, week after week to get the full picture. Uh, I'll give a, a little recap of last week's message, and I introduced uh, the topic of God's favor and trying to uh, bring a relational understanding of what God's favor is, what his presence is, and this expression that comes from his face. So how many were here last week? Yeah, if you weren't here last week, you can listen to uh, Thank God for Technology, it's a YouTube podcast, you can listen to it and it'll kind of help build some context for where I want to go tonight, but essentially I tried to deconstruct us down to a place of very childlike simplicity and understanding that favor is received like an infant receiving the face of affection from a parent. And this is the orientation of God's heart toward us, that he just kind of gawks over us, like, ah, I love you, I love you. And uh, it's, we seem to get almost, we outgrow God sometimes and become so mature and sophisticated in our thinking that we forget that it's just a parent and a child. And so that was last week, that's probably a really crappy summary of it, but I'm going to jump in and basically from that place of childlike simplicity, I want to talk and have a discussion tonight about what does it mean to increase in favor. I shared this idea last week that God's favor toward us isn't going to change. Like He loves us. He's crazy about us. He likes us. Praise God that he likes us, right? There's a lot of people we love that we don't necessarily like. At any given time, God likes us. God favors us. He sees us. His face lights up. He smiles. He gets excited. His inner world is happier when he thinks of us. Our picture is in his wallet. Like, come on. God likes us. Right? And we're trying to deconstruct but the, the, down to this place that that's just the simple truth we can receive. 
and I read this quote of A.W. Tozier that what you think about when you think of God, what comes to your mind when you think of God is the most important thing about you. And this prayer throughout the Old Testament that God would bless us and be gracious to us and cause his face to shine upon us was Israel, the priest, crying out for a redeemed connection to God so that what comes to our mind when we think of him is right. It's true. Sin has marred and broken the picture of God that humanity has etched into our hearts. And God wants to redeem it with the revelation of his favor. Which is why Jesus came to put a face on God. And it is a kind, joyful face that favors sinners. (laughs) He loved being with sinners. And sinners loved being with Jesus. Because they saw a face that liked them. We complicate this whole gospel thing sometimes. This is good news. The face of God is beautiful. And it's kind And it's joyful and it's generous and it's intentional. And what comes to our mind when we think of God, and not just our conscious mind, but that deep formation that's sometimes even subconscious, the undercurrent of our beliefs, the the emotions that spring from those beliefs, the image that is etched deep into our hearts through the formation of our lives. What comes to our mind when we think of God is the most important thing about us. And the response of our life, our worship, will be determined by that image we have of God. So he favors us. And that favor, we're not going to grow in favor in the sense that we're going to convince God to like us more. I actually think that's somewhat of a broken concept that puts us, it it juxtaposes us into this transactional understanding of God and it puts us into performance What do I need to do? If we see favor and growing in favor, like God dispensing blessing from a Coke machine, you're like, how many quarters do I got to put in there so that I can get the blessing out, so that I can grow in favor? Like, what do I have to do? Where's the switch that I can move on God to get him to to give me some blessing? That's not healthy, right? God's not a genie in a bottle. He's a father, So I want to have a conversation tonight to relationalize the concept of growing in favor. Because I do believe we grow in favor with God. But we need to see his face to understand how we grow in favor with God. Not just his hand. I think we've had an understanding of God's favor as his hand. He brings blessing. He brings promotion. He exalts with his righteous right hand. He bestows authority. The hand of God is powerful. The hand of God comes and it's kind and it's benevolent and it's generous. But if we only have a relationship with the hand of God as it pertains pertains to favor, we're going to see it black and white in this transactional model that just doesn't work. So we're going to see growing in favor in this like pressure thing of what do I do to get God to like me more? When he's like, I've loved you before the beginning of time. Okay. You're so with me right now. All right. So, so I want to just, let, let's, I like stories. This is a hypothetical story, but I'm going to try to relationalize the idea of growing in favor. Okay. So let's imagine it's 15 years from now. And I have a nearly 15-year-old daughter. And she sits me down and says, Dad, I want to go to coffee with you. I'm like, oh, you do? And she sits down with me. And I don't know why my mother is laughing right now, but (laughs) 
She is right in the front row, so. She sits me down and says, Dad, I love you so much. I love you too. She's like, I have something I want to ask you. I'm like, okay, what? She's like, I want you to give me $10,000. I'd be like, why? And maybe she says, well, I, uh, I really want to go shopping. I say, did your mom put you up to this? <laughs> right, and I, I'm just going to go out on a limb to say I'm probably not going to say yes to that request. Right. You want to go shopping? What do you want to get? <laughs> what, what do you want to get, honey? I, I want to get some Louis Vuitton <laughs> purses and shoes. <laughs> And that's all you can get with $10,000. <laughs> I, I, would, I, would I would have to have a conversation with my daughter in that moment. right? Everything I have is hers. I, I'm, honestly, I already am thinking about the inheritance that I'll give this little girl. It, it makes me excited. I, I, I'm already scheming and dreaming. And everything that's in my heart, everything that is of mine, I want to pass on to the next generation, to my next generation. So everything I have is hers, but I'm probably going to say no to her if she sits me down, asks me for $10,000 to go get some expensive, overpriced Italian goods. Or is it French? It's French. French goods. Beautiful purses, right? But I'm probably not going to give that to my 14 going on 15-year-old daughter. And I'm guessing most of us would not, right? Because I'd recognize in that moment our value systems aren't quite aligned. Like, you're not quite to the level of maturity where I think that this would be of true benefit for you, for me, for our family, to give you $10,000 to go make decisions when you just told me what you're going to do with those decisions. Are you with me? Okay. Let's redo the thing. Let's say same thing happens. She's almost 15-year-old. She sits me down. And instead of asking for $10,000, she says, Daddy, I love you so much. Oh, I love you too. What do, you, what do you want, honey? I want you to give me $100,000. $100,000. Why? Because $100,000 will be a 30% down payment on a home. I want you to gift me half of that. And the other half of it, I want you to be my business partner. And I want us to buy a rental home that will be mine. And then she proceeds to say, I've done the research, Dad. We can cash flow this $1,000 a month. I'll keep half of that. You'll get half of that. So we'll have a profitable business together, and I'm going to use that $500 to start creating a college fund. And, da, 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 and she goes on, this whole rabbit trail. And I'm like, wow, you've got, you've got me excited, hon. Why would I be excited about a $100,000 request versus a $10,000 request? Because I'm perceiving wisdom within the heart of a 14-year-old girl at this point. And obviously, I am a recovering vacillator. So I'm not putting this idyllic standard. I'm, I'm trying to hypothesize something here. right? Because Jesus was increasing in wisdom and age, stature, and then in favor with God. If I was beholding wisdom, wisdom tells me you have the capacity to steward something in a way that's going to be good and bring blessing. Right? Wisdom reveals capacity for stewardship. 
And I can just tell you, because this is part of how I think, I think generationally, I think entrepreneurial. If my daughter sat me down, good news, she can't hear me quite yet. But if she sat me down and started talking like this, and I knew that it was coming from within her, I would be compelled. Because I'd be like, wow, your value system is lining up with my value system. I see, I see what what makes me come alive inside of you. I see wisdom at work in your little heart. And, and I'm not, I don't know what I would do, right? That would, there'd be a lot of factors that would go into that, but there would be a different conversation around that request as there would be the initial request. And, and I would say this too, it doesn't matter how old she is. It, it's just, it would be the presence of wisdom would be what would relationally unlock inheritance coming her way, right? It, it all belongs to her. Everything, I'm already thinking like this for her. These are the thoughts that I get excited about. I, I pray sometimes and say, Lord, what can I do? How can I start stewarding? What, what have you put into my hands that I can sow so that I can create a legacy and inheritance to pass on to my children? I think about this. So she, the presence of wisdom would actually start to unlock a place in me where I would begin to consider the releasing of her inheritance. Because it's wisdom that's going to unlock it. Not necessarily age, not necessarily. What about you? Okay, do you see how this is more relational than a yes or a no? In either one of these things, the heart of a father is not going to just give an arbitrary yes or no. It's actually going to be a governing conversation. How do we learn wisdom? Through conversations, through discipling moments. And I would imagine that if a hypothetical conversation like this of a, you know, a business plan were to come to me, that would be the fruit of how many hours worth of conversations, that would be the fruit of saying, wow, you have been discipled by me in such a way that your value system is now lining up with my value system. And because of that, I can now give you what I long to give you, which is the blessings of my heart. I favor you 100%, but now I can actually dispense it to you in a greater measure. You can grow in favor. The presence of wisdom is what positions us to grow in favor. Jesus, the boy, he grew in wisdom, age, because there is interconnectedness between growing in age and growing in wisdom. Not necessarily. We can grow in wisdom or we can stunt in wisdom. It doesn't mean it has to happen simultaneously, but it is. And then Jesus was growing in favor with God. This is incredible. God incarnate was growing in favor with God. If Jesus needed to grow in favor with God, so do we, probably even a little more so. And, and God's wisdom, what, what is wisdom? Wisdom is the way of life. God is Alpha and Omega. We sang about it. He is creator. And if we believe in intelligent design, if we believe in a creator and a creation, then it would be incongruent to have that belief and then simultaneously think that there is not a way of wisdom that's meant to be revealed. Another way of saying that would be it, it's kind of silly to say that God is the creator, but then to think that we can figure out how to navigate life most successfully on our own. He, he, he knows life. 
He, he understands relationships. He understands finances. He understands spirituality. He understands vocation. He understands human destiny. He understands value, identity. He understands, he understands life. He created life. He has a way of wisdom. Their wisdom is that God has a design for how human beings are meant to absolutely flourish within this created world. And he wants us to know it. This, these scriptures are a book of wisdom. They're the ways and the stories and the actions of God. And then most explicitly are the gospel accounts, which is wisdom incarnate, living life as a human being, quite successfully. Wisdom, God wants wisdom to be known. And as we grow in wisdom, we actually get leavened, right? As, as God leavens us, he disciples us, parent to child, he's discipling us so that his value system, his wisdom, his understanding, his perspective on the way of life, when he starts to see that in us, that wisdom tells him, I can steward your favor, the dispensation of my inheritance. You guys are so quiet. I can't tell if you're like sleep. Are you lost? I'm serious. Are you thinking? Okay, I just want to know, like, honestly, so that I can, I can stay here. Because I'm like, all right, you're thinking. So God is desiring to disciple us into wisdom. He wants us to think the way that he thinks. He wants us to process situations the way that he would process situations. He wants us to see with the perspective that he would see. He wants to impart that into us through a life of a parent-child relationship. This is what he makes himself available to do. He's a wonderful father, and everything he has, he longs to gift to his children. He's, he knows the plans he has for you. This is like really good news, and you're acting like it's not. <laughs> okay, so, so how, how, this is, this, I'm trying to introduce where we're going to go right now. How am I going to actually come in to this process of learning wisdom? Where is this going to come from? It's going to come from conversation. It's going to come from a deep connection to the voice of God. Part of having a secure connection with God's favor, his face, is, is that I know his voice. We're, we're hardwired to know his voice. It's his voice that is discipling us. It's his voice. It's conversing with him. It's conversations. God, we, we have this idea sometimes that when we go to God, it's like he just says no to us. Or he just says yes to us. And if we have this transactional relationship with God's favor, it's like, hey, God, give me $10,000. Is it yes or is it no? Hey, God, give me a promotion. Is it yes or no? Hey, God, open doors for me. 
uh, so it, for my platforms that it can grow. You can give me more influence. Is it yes or is it no? Hey, God, heal this sickness. Is it yes or it no? And if we don't have a strong connection with the face of God, the favor of God, the presence of God, and we're viewing a relationship with God as if he just gives us these arbitrary yes or no's, we're missing it. We don't have the right vision of his face. We don't see him as father. Because a father doesn't just give you a yes or a no. Or like a silent treatment and stonewalls you so you have to figure it out. Those are derived from broken images of who the face of God is. Of who God is. This isn't Jesus. He's an everlasting father. He's, he's gentle. He's intentional. He's thinking multi-generational. He wants you to succeed. He wants you to be blessed. And, and we almost can hesitate to communicate things like that because we, I don't want you to perceive that we're veering into this name it, claim it, prosperity gospel. Right? But I, I would like to just maybe mention for a moment that the prosperity gospel, it is deception, but good deception has truth woven into it. And I would say prosperity gospel is actually camping around the truth of the blessing of a father but only seen it from his hand and not seen his face. It's, it's, I only know how to ask and believe that God's hand's gonna bless me instead of recognizing if he says no or if he says not yet, it's because he's wanting to disciple you into wisdom and he has a lot of things to talk to you about. Like my dream is coming true and getting to be a dad. And I get the privilege of getting to disciple little human beings into the wisdom that God's discipled me into. <laughs> Makes me really know I need to learn a lot more. <laughs> That's the heart of a father. We're not gonna become more liked by God. We're not gonna become more favored. But, but when we recognize, oh, then I can humble myself and say, wow, teach me, teach me, teach me. Every moment is a teaching moment. Every request we come to God with is an opportunity. He's going to bring us into a conversation. He is so good. He's always inviting us into something that's good, that's life-giving, that's real, that's fruitful, that's often held in tension, that often requires more patience than we would like. But we have to think we're, we're babies. We're, this, we're little guys, little girls. No matter how grown up we get in this life, I'm serious, I, I, I truly believe that God still sees us as very little children. This is why some of the great spiritual masters, St. Francis of Assisi, as they mature, they tend to refer to themselves as a little child more and more because they're just getting it. <laughs> they're like, oh, I thought I was so grown up this whole time. Now I see I'm just like five like the end of a full life of spiritual pursuit, and I'm five. <laughs> That's refreshing. He calls us child. He calls us children. Takes the pressure off. So if we're going to learn wisdom, we have to be rooted in a confident connection with the voice of God. Because this is where wisdom's learned. And I say the voice of God, not just the word of God. I'm going to talk a little bit about the interconnection, but with the living voice of God, the voice of a father 
that is discipling us into wisdom in every contextual situation of our lives. He's not silent. The idea that you're in a dry season or a wilderness season and God is not speaking to you is not biblical. Wilderness seasons are actually where God's voice gets really loud and clear. God doesn't stonewall us and, and not say anything to us to teach us a lesson. That's punishment. God is a communicative father that is extraordinarily intentional and just loves to talk. <laughs> he just loves to talk with us, loves to listen to. So I want to, uh, I'm going to spend the next, uh, the rest of tonight and then next time I teach talking about the voice of God and building a framework for how to strengthen our connection with it. And I, I'm, I'm going to talk about two different muscles that are similar to the, how a bicep and a tricep they're their own muscle, but they, they work in connection with one another. There's somewhat of tension between the two. As your bicep strengthens, your tricep loosens. As your tricep loosens, the bicep strengthens. But together, is they empower the arm to be able to move and do a lot of things. So I want to talk about two. They're not contrasting, but they're held in tension. Two different muscles that we have to develop to have a secure connection with God's voice, which comes from God's face. And uh, the two words that we're going to talk about is one is revelation, the other is interpretation. And so uh, as we're relating to God's voice, which I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call inspiration tonight, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the messages that come from God, the actions, these, this inspired speech that sometimes we find ourselves having. Like, is anybody familiar with this? The inspiration of God that lands in your life. And maybe it comes visually to you. Or maybe you hear things. Or maybe you feel things. Or maybe you've had experiences. But you, you know that the inspiration of something that is other, the, the, the Holy One, is coming upon you. Right? So we, we, revelation is becoming aware of and receiving. It's recognizing and understanding that the inspiration of God, there is a message from God being communicated to me. That's, that's the first act. That's the first muscle that gets strengthened in, in connecting to God's voice. And then the second is interpretation. And that is where we actually make sense of what the inspiration means. Right? So I actually have to grow in confidence that I'm receiving inspired speech. And then I have to grow learning how to interpret and make sense of what that inspired speech means. So we're not going to talk about interpretation tonight. We're going to talk about revelation tonight. This, this art, this yeah, art form of learning to recognize and become aware of God's messages to us. Uh, I love the word inspiration. I love the inspiration of God. And I also love the way that God speaks to us. And this is the first thing I want to talk about tonight in talking about God's inspiration is that God does not speak to us in a vacuum. God does not speak to us in a vacuum. What do I mean by this? God's inspiration, his voice, comes to us in the context of our own life, our own ideas, our own culture, our own Understanding, we have a context, a worldview, a mental map. There's a lot of different words you could use that is very much woven into us. And it's a lens through which we interpret the world. This was given to us through the nurture of our life, through the way that we have engaged on planet Earth. We've all been shaped 
with a worldview, a mental map, and we are all at mercy of this mental map in the sense that this is, this is what we're working with when it comes to receiving messages of all kinds, from God or from people. I'm interpreting this through my own context. Right, so a couple examples in the scripture. The Genesis account. Who's read the account of creation before? This may be shocking for some of you tonight, but there are many aspects of the creation account that are very similar to what we would call pagan creation accounts that were widely circulated at this time in the world. Some of us say that makes us threatened. No, this is, this, is, this is the word of God. This is separate. This is not like any other thing. I, I agree, it's not like any other thing. But it shares a, a common context of what people in the ancient world were trying to make sense of how the world was created. And there's striking similarities between the Genesis creation account and other pagan creation accounts. The story of Noah and the flood. There are other flood stories from the same time in human history. Similar uh, characters that were similar to Noah. Similar accounts of a flood. Similar account, Like very similar stories. Strikingly similar stories. To the Noah account. Am I trying to denigrate our view of scripture right now? Absolutely not. I'm trying to reveal to you the way that God speaks to us. He brings his inspiration in the midst of our own context. If you were to read Genesis or if you were to read the story of Noah compared to these other, uh, you know, p- pagan creation myths or flood stories, you would notice the presence of an inspiration that comes from love that is makes these stories vastly different than the, than the other ones. If you looked at them and read them back to back, you'd be like, oh my gosh, there's similar bare bones and raw material, but there is the presence of inspiration. There is something that is so beautiful and different and other about the Genesis account or the Noah account where you see the compassion of God and the mercy of God and the love of God and the goodness of God that were radical ideas in that time of the world. But the context was the same. This, this is probably the best image of this I could give you of Scripture, is the story of Abraham and Isaac, sacrificing Isaac on Mount Moriah. You may not know this, but to sacrifice your firstborn child to a god was very common in those days. Many people had sacrificed their firstborn to the gods to show that they were in devotion to these gods. So God, this is a broken context, but look at how beautiful God is. He uses a broken worldview of how God related to humanity, and he actually enters into that and says, Abraham, I want you to do the same thing. Take your firstborn boy that I promised you and sacrifice him on the mountain. But then God steps in with his inspiration in the midst of what's a very broken pagan practice. And the inspiration of the Holy Spirit shows up and God sends the ram. And God reveals to Abraham in Abraham's context of how God related to people and says, no, 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 you take your son off the altar. I'm different. I am Jehovah Jireh. I provide the sacrifice. Same context as as paganism, but the presence of inspiration revealed God was radically different than the pagan practices. God doesn't speak in a vacuum. This idea of sacrificing a child on the mountain wasn't a vacuum. That didn't just pop into Abraham's mind unannounced. Abraham was aware of this. God speaks to us in the midst of the ideas and the stories and the images and the things that we've been formed with to make sense of life. God doesn't speak in a vacuum. 
We've actually already all learned this, every person in this room, because each one of us have learned how to speak English. How did you learn to speak English? If you were, not, if you were born in this country, how did you learn to speak English? Your parents, you know, people that were close in your life, and you've probably never consciously thought about this, but the way that you learned to recognize, go with me, inspiration, inspired messages, and, and start to place value and meaning and understanding to the stimulus of your parents' voice as opposed to all the other stimulation of the world when you got out of the womb, you're like, woo! You know, we're just baby. We didn't come out with a context. We didn't come out with the ability to interpret communication. We just get out, and what do mom and dad do ceaselessly? From the time I found out this baby girl was conceived, I've just been talking to her. And we all do this. We talk to the child from the time we find out mom pees on a stick. We, you know, we start talking. And now the stat, you know, they're like, oh, she's eight weeks old. She can hear you now. It's like, oh, my gosh. Now I really got to make sure I'm saying good things. You know, and you just, we just start talking, talking in the womb. We talk for nine months in the womb. They get out of the womb. We just keep talking, 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 talking. It takes, you know, how long? Nine months, 18 months for some before a child, the incredible accomplishment that a child finally says their first word, mama, dada, which is this beautiful culmination that reveals that all the communication of mom and dad has built a context within the child through which the child can start to interpret and assign meaning to value to impulses of inspiration. That message means mom. Your mom, I'm Jordan. I'm special. I'm loved. You make me happy. I like you. You like me. Where are we getting this context? It's not from a vacuum. We didn't learn to say mom in a vacuum. We don't learn to say dad in a vacuum. We learned this because a context was sewn into us in the relational community that we're born into. So, I know many Christians. I don't hear the voice of God. I don't think he speaks to me. Wrong. Wrong. He's speaking all the time. All the time. He is a communicator. In fact, once you really tap into that voice, you're kind of like, okay, don't speak now. Don't speak now. I'd rather you not speak now. You know, when you're like going to a place to get something that you know you probably shouldn't get, like, I just got a new shoes last week, but I like those ones. You're like, no, no, that's not you. That's not you. Like, you're kind of like, I wish I didn't hear you right now. Once you're woke, you're woke. Just a warning. God doesn't speak to me. I don't hear his voice. God is speaking to you. You just haven't had a context formed, spiritually speaking, through which you're recognizing and able to interpret and assign meaning and value to the impulses of his inspiration. If you notice, this is, so this is the challenge I find with a lot of believers that were not discipled into building strength of confident connection with God's voice in their, in their childhood. And then, you know, maybe we're 18 or we're 25 or we're 35 or we're 45 or we're 55 and we're recognizing I'm not confident in the voice of God. 
the awkwardness is that we become grown-up babies at this point because when we're born again, spiritually, we become babies once again. We're babies. So our spiritual ability to discern and interpret speeches goes back to when we were babies. Very childlike, very rudimentary. God's just like, ah, ah, I love you. Right? We're born again. That's all we're getting. We're not getting like seventh heaven, third heaven revelation, you know? It's like, it's like our first 10 years in the Lord. That's it. He just loves us, just loving on us. We start, what's my destiny? What am I going to do with my life? I don't know. God's like, We make him out to be so serious. He's like, oh, you're so cute. He's like, you're so cute. You think you, think you can change the whole world? You think this is all on you? You're so cute. He's like, I've got it all in my hand. I, sp- I spoke the stars into the sky. You think it's on you? He's, you know, it's like, he's like, it's so cute. It's so cute how stupid you are. I'm like losing myself right now. Okay, so in the natural, we're grown up. And there's this weird dichotomy where we're grown up, and in the natural sense, we've matured, but in the spiritual sense, we're still a baby. So then we start trying to learn God's voice. We start trying to do it like grown-ups. But grown-ups didn't learn how to speak English. Babies did. And what do babies do? Are babies self-conscious that they don't quite understand what mom and dad are saying? <laughs> like, no, they're not worried about if they get it wrong. Our baby's self-conscious when they start putting words out. Like, I might say it wrong. Dad, 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 dad. Like, they can say anything, and we're like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> this is prayer. Well, I don't want to pray out loud because I don't know if my prayer is going to sound very good. It's like, that's, a, that's, not a, that's not a baby's thinking. That's an adult thought. That's a grown-up, sophisticated, intellectual, Western mind talking. A baby's like, God doesn't need a lot from us. You know, it baffles me sometimes in this whole prayer relationship, how much emphasis we put on what we say. It's like, he spoke and created galaxies. I'm doing good to tie my shoes on in the morning and brush my teeth. Do the dishes. So if we're going to grow in God's voice, we actually have to go back into a place of childlikeness. And the Holy Spirit does this. He wants to do this. He wants to take us there. He wants to teach us. But we have to have this childlike humility. So I don't have it all figured out. I need to learn. Isn't that cool? So I'm going to give you a formula. This may sound, I'm doing actually pretty good on time. Are you okay? Can I do like nine more minutes? I want to give you a formula. Formulas are crass. They're not perfect. But I think this could be helpful for how we can grow in receiving revelation in our life. It's 
I have really good news and really bad news about this. The good news is it's extremely simple. The bad news is there's no shortcuts. Okay. So, scripture plus reflection plus time equals revelation. Scripture plus reflection plus time equals revelation. Scripture. Why scripture? As I described in God coming to Abraham, you see that because Abraham's context, right, what came into Abraham's mind when he thought about God was not a right picture of who God was because nobody knew who God was. God's actually reintroducing himself after the fall to Abraham. So Abraham has no idea. And so because Abraham doesn't have a context, a shared culture with God, God has to speak in some pretty crass and rudimentary ways. He has to, and God's a brilliant, he's absolutely brilliant, so he can do this. But as we will see in any human relationship as well, the more that we share common context, ideas, value system, experiences, history, intimacy with someone, the better we can communicate with them. Because we are rightly understanding one another. We're, we're aware. So why is the scripture so powerful in learning to recognize inspiration? This is the context of God's work in the world over 5,000 years. This is how he's spoken. These are the stories of what he's done. This is the most insanely brilliant, intentional, beautiful act of relational investment we will ever see. He's like working thousands of years just to build context to introduce new ideas that then build context for the introduction of new ideas. And it's like this ongoing culmination where God is speaking and like, this is how you think God is, but this is what I'm like, and this is what I'm like, and this is what I'm like, so that then he can finally reveal the full expression of himself, which is Jesus Christ, God incarnate. And it's like, oh my goodness, when this starts clicking in you, when you start seeding yourself with the story of the scripture and you start to build a common context, it's the potential to start recognizing God goes through the roof. Because what was just a random stimuli to you in your childlike, infantile understanding of the world, all of a sudden you start to see value on things you would not have seen before because you share a common context with God. This is why it says the word is a light into our path and a lamp to our feet. It illuminates. It reveals what we would not be able to see. So God's working, we just won't be able to see it because we're darkened in our understanding. We're We're ignorant. I love the picture of a storm cloud, particularly a rain cloud that can produce lightning. What allows a cloud to uh, build the potential for this lightning strike is actually that a cloud has to be seeded with a lot of water. So as a cloud gets impregnated with water, it gets so full of the water that as it's up there and the thermals are blowing, the molecules start rubbing against each other and the electrical molecules start to gravitate to the top of the cloud and the positive charged ions to the bottom of the cloud and it creates this huge potential for lightning to take place because the charge gets increasingly contrasted within the cloud and 90% of lightning strikes are actually within the cloud. I think lightning is a beautiful picture for those light bulb moments when inspiration just hits us 
Whoa, things come together. Picture, stories, images, word, boom, boom. You, you get these revelations, you get these impulses, these kisses from God, these messages of love. Right? I think that's a beautiful picture of how God speaks. It hits us sometimes. But I believe that the water, it says in Ephesians 4 that we're to be washed with the water of the word. In Isaiah 55, it says that the word of God is actually like the rain that comes down and it waters the earth and causes seed to spring forth and it accomplishes the mission that it comes forth. When we get seeded with the water of the word, we get impregnated within our spiritual mind and all of a sudden we have the thoughts and the ideas and the stories and the, and the throughout the millennia of how God has worked in the earth and we've got all of these things bouncing around inside of us and it's like they're hitting each other and they're rubbing around and we're searching and searching and searching for who is this God and it, boom, it hits because we've been seated with the living word of God. This is why I think one of the most dangerous things we can do is read the scripture. This is why I believe that no book in the history of the world has been burned, banned, people burned at the stake for printing. This book has been, is electrically charged and every, every, if you look back at almost every world um, empire, they have persecuted this word. They did not want people to get this inside of them. So it changes us from the inside out. Anyways, scripture, scripture. We have to seed ourselves with the scripture. Scripture plus reflection. I could use reflection, meditation, listening, quiet, all of these are synonymous. Journaling, reflecting, this is creating space to fold the wings of the intellect, to open the intake valves of the heart, and to start to listen for the inner voice. If we don't spend time listening, we won't hear. So listening, my probably most effective uh, training discipline in learning to receive revelation has been journaling. Because in journaling, I'm just kind of vomiting out my inner world onto paper. And this is the amazing thing I found. Yeah, it's a whole lot of me, my thoughts, my emotions, my ideas, my things. But as I get it out of me, I will start at times to notice the presence of this inspired line of thinking that's coming forth from within me. Because God has come and made his home in my heart. If you were to imagine an author working at a desk and they have manuscripts and books with quotes and quotes and quotes and maybe some rough drafts and some outlines and you'd have this whole desk just full of all these resources. Right? And imagine that for some reason that author was drawn away. You were to come into his study you would look and you would just see a confusing heap of information because it would have been the presence of that author that would have pulled and placed value on certain things and turned a heap of words upon words and experiences upon experiences into one living message that would become a book. God is the author of life. And as we spend time in the quiet, in the contemplative spaces, uh, journaling is a great way of quiet expression, we're 
bringing to God this often confusing heap of life experiences that we're all going through. The, the deep thirsting for meaning that's inside of each one of us, the pursuit of, of purpose, the pursuit of answering the existential question of why am I alive? We're offering that and then creating space as we listen for the author of life to start to render some things useless, some things very significant and useful and bring us into the reality that we're living a story that's being authored by a face that likes us. That's the conversation that will bring us into wisdom. This is where we learn wisdom. Oh, I was placing wrong value on the wrong things. Of course, because we're being discipled back into relationship with God for who he truly is. Scripture plus reflection plus time. I think of growing in wisdom the same way I do thinking of growing wealth. It is not your income that is your most powerful tool to grow wealth. You could make a ton of money. You could make not a ton of money. It's actually your investments that are much more lucrative in the pursuit of growing wealth. Meaning, we all have income, right? We all have different circumstances in our life but we all are given seed on a daily basis, financially speaking, bear with me, and if we will sow the seed and not eat the seed, if we will sow the seed strategically, day after day, with a vision, with a purpose, with a disciplined strategy, over time, these little insignificant seeds will amass wealth. There's many people in this nation that make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and they live paycheck to paycheck and they're not amassing any wealth. And then there's people that don't make very much money at all and they're millionaires. How? Sow the seed. Sow the seed. $50 here. $50 there. $50 here. $50 there. $50 here. In investing makes more money than income. Anybody? Now follow me. How do we grow in wisdom? It's not, it's not, it's not like super sexy. You sow your seed. You're given seed every day. You're given time. And if you sow your seed into the kingdom, Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, all these other things will be added to you. If you sow your seed in heaven, not where wrath and must will destroy or thieves will break in and steal. If you sow your seed in the right place, you will learn wisdom. How? You may not know, but you sow the seed. You don't know how it grows. You don't know really how it germinates, but the sun shines, the rain falls, and pretty soon that seed, you reap what you sow. We sometimes want this shortcut. I want to just get blasted by a prayer moment where the favor of God just wrecks me and I leave more blessed than I came. Yet that happens. God does that. But if you don't know how to steward it, you're not going to do anything with it anyway. It's a flash in the pan. It's time. You have to give time. Give time to the scripture, time to reflecting, time learning to receive strength in yourself in this wisdom of the Lord. And some days it's not going to seem significant. No, it, it won't. It won't. Just like investing $50 doesn't seem very significant. It's not going to make anybody rich. But if you just keep sowing 30 minutes, 30 minutes, 30 minutes, 30 minutes, 15 minutes, 5 minutes, 5 minutes, 10 minutes, 5 minutes, 8 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour. You just keep sowing your seeds. Just keep sowing your seeds. You don't know how, but all of a sudden, one day you'll find, I am being governed by divine wisdom. All of a sudden you start, 
I'm intuitively aware of what I was not aware of before. I was trying to ride my bike so clunky, and I had training wheels before, and now I don't even have to think about it. Because I've given time to God. Scripture plus reflection plus time equals revelation. We'll start to become aware and recognize the inspiration of the Spirit of God in our lives. He wants to tell, he's talking, he's talking now. He is building a context right now. Amen? So I'm just going to close in prayer. You know, I don't feel, I don't feel necessarily that this is a night for like this huge massive moment of impartation as much as, you know, rather than giving a fish, I feel like the Lord's giving a fishing pole tonight. And saying, this is how you can fish. So, let's just stand on our feet. I'm going to pray a benediction. And then we can get our children and go out and grow in favor with God. Lord, I thank you for your living word that goes forth from your mouth and accomplishes the purpose for which it is sent. I thank you for the living words that you are releasing into this house tonight. Lord, and I pray that you will give us wisdom, that you will open the eyes of our heart, that you will give us a perspective, Lord, that we didn't walk in here with tonight that will empower us to be faithful. Lord, you are faithful. And when we see you for who you are, we find that within ourselves. Lord, empower us to be a faithful people who so are spend time in the scripture, who learn to quiet and listen and reflect. God, and who persevere in sowing the seed so that we begin to grow in this confident relationship of your inspired messages to us. God, I pray that you open the eyes and the ears of our hearts to begin to receive and hear the voice of the Lord and that you will begin to just grow and bestow and leaven us with your wisdom, Lord, so that we can live life your way and grow in favor like Jesus grew in favor so that we can steward. God, we want to steward the inheritance that you have for us in heaven. So bless us tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Be blessed. Go in peace. Ponder the words. Re-listen if you need to re-listen. And uh, if, you, if you need prayer, you know, we, we'll pray for you up here. We have a prayer team, but uh, you're blessed to go.